Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 18 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I am so very glad to have you with us, Aaron, producing the show and for the balance of the week. All right, this is kind of a brave one because on the morning news, um, Eric Bilstadt and Vince Vitrano, they they did a very, very nice piece. I'm told it's a nice piece. I have not heard it yet, but a number of people had. It's like Jeff Wagner, Retirement Edition, because if you haven't heard, this is my last week at WTMJ after a little bit over 25 years, well over 6,500 shows. I'm getting ready to head off into the sunset, whatever that exactly means. So anyways, they did this very, I'm told it's a very nice piece. I have not heard it yet, but they put it out on Twitter. I have reposted it. So if you follow me on Jeff Wagner Radio, um, at Jeff Wagner Radio, you, you can check it out. It's also prominently posted on our 620 website, WTMJ.com. So you can check it out. I, I have, but it's, it's, I'm flying blind here because I'm assuming that there's good stuff in there, that there's nothing that's embarrassing that is included there, but we'll, We'll uh, we'll see. It is, in fact, out there. You can check that out as well. Also, all right, we still have our cameras up. In addition to spoken word radio being able to hear us, you can also view us. And, and this is this is a rare day. It is a rare day because as I make the point um, constantly, my, my wife dresses me. She, she does, does. And that's and because typically with the possible exception of her current choice of men, she has just wonderful taste. I'm walking out of the house today and she says, that just doesn't look right. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you're wearing a tie. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear a tie for the balance of the week. And she says, well, you know, this, you're really wearing a sweatshirt over the tie that the sweatshirt doesn't go with the tie. You should really either take off the tie or lose the sweatshirt and put on a jacket. And I was kind of late. And I said, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to brave it through. So I, I said, I will make sure that for people who are watching us, I just say that this was not a day that you ended up dressing me. So if you check us out at, uh, again, on YouTube, on the WTMJ channel, or you check us out at uh, WTMJ.com, watch live, uh, and you say, hey, he's wearing a sweatshirt. It really doesn't go with that uh, that collared shirt and the tie. It's You cannot blame my wife. This was all me. That's kind of just how it ends up working. Um, it This week, let me just tell you what we're going to do, because it is – it is a little bit different. There, there's no question about it. And I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of continue to do current events and the issues that we do, but also kind of integrate some things that I, I've wanted to do and I've been thinking about doing. Um, in the one o'clock hour of today's program, a number of people have been asking me, hey, over the years, you've come up with a bunch of Wagner's rules of life. You know, can you, can you give us some of them? And I, I'm going to highlight at the during the one o'clock hour that the top six that, that I have and kind of explain where they came from. So we're going to do that. Tomorrow, we're going to do one or two segments. Um, I, I typically do not do open lines. Um, I, I just, 
because I think I get paid to come up with topics and to sort of drive the conversation. My my challenge is to find topics that I think you will be interested in. And, and a lot of times, like these open line things, I, I think, at least for me, that doesn't necessarily make the most interesting radio. But we are, during the 1 o'clock hour of tomorrow's program, do, going to do a segment I do once a year or so called I Was Wondering, when you can call in, ask different questions, and things like that. On Thursday... On Thursday during the 1 o'clock hour, we are doing what I call Evergreen Day because a number of people ask, how you, Jeff, how do you prepare for shows and things like that? And what happens is I will go through, again, all the different resources I look at, and I'll print up topics. I think, oh, this, this looks like it's a good issue for the, for the show. But then what happens inevitably, and this has been the way it's been for over 25 years, I, I just, at the end of the show, I've still got topics that are left over. And some just get, you know, thrown into the circular file. But other topics I get and I say, this is this is an interesting topic and I'll save it for a day when there's not more breaking stuff. Well, what happens inevitably is that file, what I call my evergreen file, you know, the things that you can use all the time, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I've got a real big evergreen file. So during the one o'clock hour of the program on Thursday, we're I, I'm going to go through it because... There's no sense in saving it anymore. So we're going to go through the evergreen file and, and you'll uh, I will share with you topics that I think are good and I think they're interesting, but they just they didn't make the daily cut. But I don't I just don't want I just don't want to toss them out. So um, it's going to be evergreen day during the one o'clock hour on Friday on Thursday. And then, of course, Friday is the, the last program. I, I'm titling it. They really do exist. Because if you have listened to me over the years, and this is one of the problems, and I I acknowledge this when I meet people, one of the problems with being an acquaintance of mine or a friend of mine is that anything that happens could end up on the radio in a form or another. And I mean, always give that disclosure. You know, one of your friends does something funny, it could end up on the radio. One of the friends does something kind of odd, it could end up on the radio. Now, sometimes, with apologies to Jimmy Buffett, I freely acknowledge that they are semi-true stories. In other words... Um, there's some things I forgot, maybe some things I made up to make them a little bit of a better story. But these people really do exist. And so we're having some of those folks down here at the studio on Friday. So some of the people that have been part of the revolving cast of characters on The Wagner Show over the last 25 years, we're, we're actually going to bring them into the studio and we're, we're going to... We're going to introduce them to you because, yes, they really do I- exist. It, it's not completely made up. Some of the stories might have been exaggerated or whatever, but, yes, they really do exist. So we're going to do that off and on during the um, during the show on Friday. So that's and, and obviously and we'll try to come up with something special for Wednesday as well. But that's sort of as I'm as I'm mapping out the week in addition to other things that we're going to do. So, again, tomorrow is um, I was wondering it's going to be your chance to probably our last chance to ask me questions in this venue and then. Thursday will be Evergreen Day, and Friday is, yes, they really do exist. Um, Be afraid. Be very afraid. So that's going to be fun. I have been just really, again, touched by the the response that that we're getting, and I'm just getting swamped with texts and emails about people who've who've enjoyed the program. I want to share a couple with you because I know that there are some people out there that do not understand 
the connection. It's not it's not me, but they don't understand the connection that spoken word radio gives to the, the community. And I know there's some people out there who don't listen to talk radio and stuff and say, oh, these are you know, it, these these voices on the radio don't make any difference. And I am a huge advocate for this this medium. And and I, I just want to just share a couple of things. I mean, here's a text from a lady named Sarah. Jeff, I knew this day would eventually come, but I would be remiss not to say your retirement is extremely bittersweet to me. The sweet, of course, is I'm happy for you, for the opportunities you will have to travel, focus on family, friends, and other passions. The bitter part is just how much I'll miss your program. I I have shared this comment to you in the past, but it bears repeating how influential you've been in my life. I started listening to you in late 2010 and into early 2011 when the Act 10 controversy was heating up. Act 10 affected me very personally as a teacher. I felt silenced in many ways due to my conservative views. Your show was a place I could listen and interact with others who understood and respected my point of view. It did not stop there, of course. That was just the entry. I enjoyed many years of listening via podcast or live shows on a weekly basis at every opportunity. Um... I greatly appreciated the wisdom and expertise you bring to so many topics, how kind, as well as your strong roots in the Milwaukee community. You present you present and engage us in local and national issues with an unparalleled level of sophistication, how kind. Add to that, you can be humorous when things are better kept light. It was always clear to me the incredible amount of preparation and thought you put into your content, as well as how much you enjoyed the opportunity to talk with us each day. I hope that came through. I, I really, I really did. And as I've said before about this, there are, I know there's some people out there who say, oh, these, these guys that do talk radio or gals that do talk radio, they just come in and they kind of open up the microphone and they wing it. And there may be people out there that do that. I'm not one of them because I'm just not that good. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, it's always funny. People say, oh, you only work three hours a day. Well, it's, and again, maybe there are people that, that do that. I'm just saying that for me, it, it's an ongoing process. It's kind of a constant process. That's going to be one of the things. I was actually thinking about it over the weekend. That's going to be one of the things that's going to be the hardest to get over because I'm a news junkie. So, I mean, I I, I have all these different sources and newspapers and websites and all these different places I go to. And it never, I mean, I found myself doing that over the weekend. It's Saturday morning. I'm reading through stuff, and I'm thinking, hey, this is going to make for an interesting topic. And so I hit the button, and I print it. Um, after... After a couple of days from now, I'm not. I'm. I'm still going to read the topics and stuff, but I'm not going to. It's not going to be. Hey, this is something that I. I might be able to channel into 15 or 20 minutes that people enjoy on the radio. That's going to be one of the hard changes for me. Anyhow, Sarah continues. I just moved out of state 10 years ago to the D.C. area. I've continued to download and listen to your podcast as there is no comparison. Um, you have said before, although this is not how you say it, that we know the news anchors, but we really know the talk radio hosts. The Daily Talk, which feels so much like a dialogue, is like listening to a friend. You will be greatly missed. Uh, I'm Like I say, I'm going to miss that as well. But that's, that's, that's very kind. And this is kind of representative of the pieces we're getting. I'm also hearing from people all over the country. And it, it turns out, and I guess I don't appreciate this. you got to understand, we're sitting in this room and... Um, there's a couple windows, but they're, they're not windows to the world. And you start to appreciate that there's people, you, you are really out there and you are really listening. Just like I'm kidding around with, you know, on Friday, they really do exist. These friends who've been parts of the show for the last 25 years, listeners are really out there too. And it's just always, it's just always been amazing. So thanks for everything for the past 25 years. We will have a continuing chance to reminisce over the next five years, over the next five days. Like I say, it's going to be a little bit of a different week, but what can you say when we come back all right they finally got it right i will explain stick around 
One of our texters says, Jeff, you just might make it to the end of the week without your head exploding. I don't know. I think the odds of that, 6-5, pick them. You know, you just, you just never know exactly when that's going to happen, but we will see. Okay, um, let's kind of back up on this. Last week, one of the big stories had to do with Christmas trees in the city of Milwaukee. Now, what, what happened is, all right, Christmas trees, you get these live Christmas trees. At the end of Christmas, you know, people throw them out onto the curb. Historically, the city of Milwaukee has picked them up. The garbage department's picked them up. They've taken them. They've thrown them into landfills. All right. They dispose of it. The city of Milwaukee last week, the Department of Public Works, this is the department run by the, the mayor, um, announced that they would no longer be picking up Christmas trees. They blamed the State Department of Natural Resources for changing their rules. The state, um, the state, according to the city, the state had suddenly surprised them by saying, hey, you can no longer put Christmas trees in landfills because they um, end up, uh, they, they produce methane gas. So what you have to do is you have to um, go in and you have to like recycle the, the trees. You, know, you have to treat them like yard waste. And the city said, okay, well, the problem is we don't collect yard waste after December 1st and we're completely surprised by this and we want to tell, have people take their Christmas trees to one or two recycling centers. Now, I admit I got 45 minutes of very compelling talk radio last week by talking about just how absolutely stupid this this was because nobody, well, almost, I say nobody, and somebody said, well, I think this would be good. Almost nobody was going to take their dead Christmas tree, throw it in the back of their car, and drive it to 66th and Mill Road. They weren't going to do that. So what was going to happen is the Christmas trees were going to get dumped on the curb, and then the wind would come along. It was going to blow these things. You'd have Christmas trees all over the streets, all over the city, smashing into snow plows, all these different things. It was just a policy that didn't work. It got worse because it was revealed that the city was lying. Yeah, that's a strong word, but that's what they were doing. They were lying because apparently the Department of Natural Resources had told them, Earlier in the year, like February, hey, you know, we're this is you guys are misinterpreting our rule. Christmas trees cannot be put in the landfills with other sorts of garbage. Christmas trees have to go through composting or recycling or whatever. They're yard waste. The city had apparently known since February that this was the way the state was handling it. Now, you can argue about whether or not the state is right, but that's a whole different thing. But the city had been on notice for the better part of 10 months, that you weren't going to be able to dump the Christmas trees in the landfill. And yet they did absolutely nothing about it until two weeks before Christmas or three weeks before Christmas when they spring this on on people and they blame the DNR. And again, look, I the State Department of Natural Resources, look, I have no problem with blaming the DNR for lots of stuff because they deserve a lot of blame. And, and again, maybe their rule is wrong. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know that. But the DNR did tell the city months and months and months ago that this was an issue, and the city did absolutely nothing. And then when they, they dropped this on, on on the city residents, they try to blame the DNR. So it's now been exposed. The City Department of Public Works was not being candid with the citizens. And interestingly enough, today, the Milwaukee Common Council, um, well, they, they put an end to this Interestingly, the head of the Department of Public Works didn't have the guts to show up at the hearing, but he sent a couple minions, and these minions got lectured. And the bottom line is the Common Council said, 
look, th- this is not going to work. And what you have to do, Department of Public Works, is you got to figure out how you're going to pick up these Christmas trees. So they have directed the Department of Public Works to start picking up Christmas trees that are put on the curb. Now, how and again, the, the common council, I, I mean, I like some of the members in this regard. They, they say, look, this is not our problem. You you know, we don't know where you're going to get the money. We don't know where you're going to get the resources, but you got to figure out this is a problem which you have created and you have to figure it out because, as they've pointed out, as members of the Common Council pointed out, just like we discussed in great length last week, to not do this is a recipe for disaster because people who have Christmas trees but don't have cars, they're not taking their Christmas trees on a bus to 66th and Mill Road. People who have cars aren't taking their Christmas trees, their dead Christmas trees with needles falling all over, throwing them in the trunk of a car and, and driving them out. They're, they're just not going to do that. In the real world, what would have happened is they would have dumped them on the curb and then just seen what happened. And we all know what would have happened. They would have blown all over and created a hazard. So the, the bottom line is the members of the Common Council have have stopped this policy and have said, okay, we're – you, you pick them up. You figure out how. Um, retiring Alderman Bark Borkowski, Mark Borkowski said the DPW's handling of the process change called it amateur hour <laughs> and said residents pay taxes for customer service. I'm just befuddled that this conversation hasn't been taking place among the Army that's in the Department of Public Works or the Army that's in the mayor's office or any other Army when this is a basic function of city government. It's not splitting the atom. Um yeah, um, <laughs> uh, right. Um, Alderman uh, Bob Bauman, and I, I rarely agree with him about anything, but you know, we're on the same wavelength here. He had a simple message for the public after the meeting. Sorry for this confusion. We, the council, will fix the problem by directing the department to pick up the Christmas trees. Um, Bauman said, technically, all the people at DPW report to the mayor. I mean, he appoints the commissioner who was absent today. We don't know what the mayor knew and when he knew it. They didn't come up, and that's fine. We're trying to fix the problem as opposed to trying to point fingers and serve up heads on platters. That's all well and good. Bottom line is, okay, the city of Milwaukee, the, the powers that be, have heard you. And see, a lot of times, you know, you hear you can't fight City Hall. Well, the truth is that's not always the case. And and every once in a while, you can fight City Hall. And actually, that's been one of the really, really fun things that I've gotten to do for the last 25 years is to help you on occasion fight City Hall or state government or national government, because this was an incredibly stupid, ill-conceived policy. And to the extent, well, we can help shine some light on that, it is a positive thing. But the good news is the elected officials have heard you. And now the Christmas trees will be picked up. Now, if they would only listen on things like car theft and carjackings and reckless driving and speeding and homicides and robberies, we'd be better off. But baby steps. At least we've got the Christmas tree thing solved. When we come back, is it really such an outrage? We'll discuss. Stick around. He went to England. Played the piano and married an actress named Kim. They had a fine life. She was a good wife and bore him a young son named Jim. And all of the answers and all of the questions locked in his attic one day. 
liked the quiet, clean country living. Twenty more years slipped away. Welcome back. Those are um, I, we're, those are some of we're playing. We're incorporating some of my favorite tunes and some kind of goodbye songs into the last couple weeks of the program. That's Jimmy Buffett's uh, "He Went to Paris," a beautiful song, one of my very favorite. All right, uh, this story broke at the end of last week. I was going to do it. I was going to talk about it with you on Friday, but we were doing the Cap Goes Kids to Kids remote, and I just thought it best save for a, 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 another day, which would mean today, because I understand this generates uh, this generates very, very uh, strong feelings on many sides of the issue. Look, here, here's the deal, and and this is going to irritate some of you. I am not I am not in favor of of an impeachment of President Biden. I, I'm I'm not. I think. I think impeachment has been weaponized way, way, way too much. And I don't think there's any evidence at this point in time that Biden has done anything that is impeachable. Plus, we've got this thing called an election that's coming up in, in less than a year. And if people are unhappy with the Biden administration, and it certainly looks that way if you believe the polls, they have a real reasonable opportunity, which is to go out and vote against him. So trying to stage an impeachment at this point in time and at this point in the presidency i I think is kind of uh, i think is is a waste of spirit on top of it i think it's counterproductive because i think it has the potential to make biden seem like he is is a martyr in many respects some of the various prosecutions of former president trump have done exactly the, the same thing trump you know it seems the more he gets charged with various things, the, the more he becomes a, a sympathetic figure to people out there who believe this is really not what America is about. Um, again, trying to punish political opponents. Classic example of that is what is going on in New York. Now, that's a civil trial. But this this civil trial and I've, I've made these arguments. It's it's bull. And, and this is a classic example, I believe, of a politically motivated state attorney general. I mean, she ran for office in 2018 saying she was going to nail Donald Trump, and, and now that's what they're they're trying to do. For those of you who haven't been keeping score, Trump is is accused of defrauding insurance companies by overvalue or banks by overvaluing the amount of his assets in order to get loans. All right. Well, the, the first of all, and take it from a former federal prosecutor, there needs to be fraud. Normally, when you have a mail fraud or a bank fraud case, what happens is people make false statements. The banks or the insurance companies or whatever rely on those false statements. They make loans, and then the loans go bad, so they're out money. In this particular case, they're, they're, nobody lost any money. The, the Trump organizations paid back every dime, and they paid it back with interest. So it's impossible for me to see the fraud. So then the argument is, well, they, they said they had more assets that were there. Well, the banks and insurance companies, they're testifying, look, you know, we, we didn't rely on this information. Trump claimed his net worth was, you know, $490 million. We, we did our own estimates. We estimated it was about half of that. But we still made the loans anyways because we wanted him, we wanted his business. In other words, we didn't care about the representations and what he claimed. We did not rely on him. No matter how you cut this, it just, it doesn't fit, in my opinion, it doesn't fit into fraud. There, there's no loss. There's no reliance. This is, and again, I don't care how this, this judge turns it out, but this is one of these examples of, you know, whatever you think about Donald Trump and whatever you think about his involvement in January 6th and those things, that this civil case in New York, in my opinion, is, it is, it is, does fit into the category of political witch hunt. 
And I know some of you don't like that because you don't like Trump, but that's just kind of the, the reality. But some of these charges have made Trump a martyr and his support has gone up. Getting back to where I started, that's why I don't support impeachment of Joe Biden at this point in time or any point in time. It, it's, it's the last year of the presidency. Vote him out if if you are concerned. But if the Republicans, especially with an only one or two or three vote uh, majority in the House of Representatives, launch one of these impeachment inquiries, all it's going to do is make Biden a martyr. And it's not going to go anywhere at all. So that's how I feel about impeachment. But let's put let's put Joe Biden out of the picture. The son, Hunter Biden, is a crook. And on Friday or Thursday, I guess what happened is. The Middle District of California returned a multiple count indictment charging Hunter Biden with a scheme to evade federal taxes on millions of dollars in income from foreign businesses. Now, this indictment charges him with failure to pay one point four million dollars. Keep in mind, this isn't taxes on one point four million dollars. This is failing to pay $1.4 million that he owed for tax years 2016 through 2019. On top of that, the reason he hasn't been charged with other tax fraud cases, because everybody says what he did in 2014 and 2015 was even worse, is because the Biden Justice Department dragged their feet on bringing charges for these other two tax years. And so now the statute of limitations is blown. So you've got tax evasion for four years. He actually did it for more than that. But he's managed, again, the statute of limitations because the Justice Department, again, dragged its feet on this stuff. A couple years you can no longer charge him with. But but there doesn't appear to be any issue that even though he paid back the money that he owed, he, he evaded taxes. So I'm watching this and there's some people thinking, oh, this is just a witch hunt too. You know, why, you know, why should you expect him to, to do this? I mean, he paid these things back. Well, all right. Tax evasion is tax evasion. And if you have the, I had a text the other day saying, well, how dare you say this? Because, you know, the average person, they wouldn't be charged with this. To which I thought, are you nuts? First of all, the, the average person, you know, doesn't have a tax debt of $1.4 million. Okay, that you, the average person and tax debt of $1.4 million doesn't fit in the same sentence. That's number one. But but number two, yeah, of course, if you have somebody who knowingly and intentionally evades taxes for years and years, and we're not talking about five grand or ten grand, and we're not talking about good faith mistakes, we are talking about a willful intent to deceive. At least that's what the allegations are, and to evade taxes. How can you not bring charges? And whether it's the son of this president or the son of the next president or whatever, if you have evidence that somebody has evaded this amount of money, how can you not bring charges? And whenever I say that, I say, well, what about Trump and his taxes? And my response is, if the IRS believes that Donald Trump has committed tax fraud, by all means, go ahead and charge Donald Trump with tax fraud. But my sense is Trump has been as investigated as anybody, and at least from a tax fraud perspective, nobody's suggesting that anything he did was tax fraud. 855-616-1620. Are you outraged that Hunter Biden has been indicted for failing to pay taxes on over $1.4 million in income? And again, I'm misstating that. 
He owed $1.4 million in taxes that he failed to pay on millions and millions and millions of dollars more in income. How can you let that go? He asks. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. The whataboutism that, that goes on nowadays is one of the frustrating things for me. Well, okay, Hunter Biden's a crook, but what about Trump? All right, all right. And again, th- this is the point. Donald Trump is being prosecuted on all sorts of different levels. There, there's nobody, nobody suggests that he committed tax fraud, and that's that's it. If there's if there's a federal tax evasion case to be made against him, then then the IRS should should bring this. That that's okay. Not justifying that, but this idea that well, I don't like Trump, and I think he's a crook, so that means you shouldn't charge Hunter Biden. Are you nuts? I, I mean, seriously about this. Um, uh, Jeff, this is one of the many reasons you will be missed. You intelligently and impartially explain issues, especially political issues, and that's what we need more of. Right. And this is this is the only thing. They're, they're completely separate sort of things. And and I, I understand we're, we're all so entrenched in our camps now. OK, Hunter Biden didn't pay taxes on millions and millions of dollars of income. He owed one point four million. All right. Trust me. Take some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. Don't evade your taxes because, you know, I, I will tell you, you it, on substantially less, if the IRS decides that you have knowingly, intentionally evaded taxes, you're going to get indicted. That's just the, the reality, much less $1.4 million. And again, it's more than that, but the statute of limitations blew. So th- this, this justification for this, I just, I do not buy it. These charges stand on their, their own merit. Now, again, as far as Donald Trump, you know, fill in the blank. He's going to have his day in court. He's going to be prosecuted. He's already looking at four separate indictments and four, two in federal indictments, two criminal complaints in various jurisdictions, and not to mention that the civil case that's going on. And, you know, and, and that'll work. It's those will all work their way through the system. And but the point of the matter is you got to recognize that these are sort of separate kind of things. And, yes, I understand if you want to see Trump perp walked out in an orange jumpsuit and put behind bars. Oh, OK, that that's fine. That's a conversation for a different day. But don't let that convince you that, gee, you know, Hunter Biden has done, you know, nothing wrong um, with regard to this. Jeff, if Hunter Biden is guilty of tax evasion, then he's guilty and should pay the penalty. During the Trump-Clinton debate, Trump bragged about evading taxes and got elected for it. No, he didn't brag about evading taxes. He talked about how he used the tax code to his advantage. There is a difference that's out there. Look, I, I I don't do my taxes anymore. I send them to my super accountant, Laura. But she looks for legitimate deductions. None of us pay more, or at least I don't think any of us pay more taxes than we are supposed to pay. So, I mean, one of the reasons I pay my accountant in her job is to say, okay, these are the deductions that you are entitled to. And, and yeah, we take them. Now that doesn't mean I'm evading taxes. It means, all right, these are what I'm entitled to and I, and I will take it. And that's what Trump was saying. He said, look, we, you know, we use the tax code and I've got lawyers and this is their interpretation. If the IRS disagrees, they can go after him. If they believe that there's criminal liability, they can prosecute him. But it's simply looking to try to find deductions on your tax returns. That's not fraud. Um, you know, 
period. Um, there's no question about it. Jeff absolutely should be charged. In addition, what about lying on his firearm application? I'm pretty sure if you or I did that, we would face serious repercussions. You know, that's the other indictment that came out of Delaware. I, I That one I, I don't know about. I mean, I, I don't know if a misrepresentation like he made saying that he wasn't a drug user or something would get more people prosecuted or whatever. That, to me, is the less serious of the charges. But this tax evasion is, in fact, a, a big deal. And I guess it's frustrating to me that the people who hate Donald Trump can't see this. I mean, what we have to do in this country is have this conversation. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you break the law, you deserve to be held accountable. Trump has been charged. Same thing true for uh, the the crooked senator out of New Jersey who happens to be a Democrat who it appears has been on the take for a number of years. You cannot defend this type of conduct. And, And, yeah, you get somebody's day in court, but if they're convicted, they deserve to be held accountable. If Donald Trump is convicted at some point in time for his involvement in January 6th, or the records thing, or that the again the prosecution in New York about the 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 money that's paid to the porno film performer Stormy Daniels. That's a more problematic one. I'm not sure that that's going to go anywhere. But okay, you get your day in court. But look, th- this is my closing message on this whole thing. Look, let's let's not let's not lower the bar. I get it if you don't like Trump and you want to hold Trump accountable, that's fine. But that's not a justification for saying to somebody like Hunter Biden, here, you don't get to be held accountable either because you're the son of the president of the United States, period. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, I want you to imagine what an appropriate response would be. Here's the deal. 29-year-old woman, Kate K-H-A-D-I-J-I-H-A, however you want to pronounce that, Hamilton, 29 years old, pleaded guilty in October to possessing a firearm on school grounds. Here's what happened. May 10th, the Rocket Ship Transformation Prep School near 68th and Silver Spring. According to the criminal complaint, a teacher told police she saw a woman, in this case Hamilton, yelling about a fight in the hallway. The teacher then realized the woman was Hamilton. Another teacher said a woman was yelling that she was going to beat everyone's expletive and saying the woman was a constant problem at the school and the school had had many encounters with the woman, per the complaint. A third teacher said she heard Hamilton say, blank this school, you can fill in the blank there, before pulling a gun out of her purse. The teacher then yelled, she has a gun. The school was put on lockdown while Hamilton tried running away, prosecutors said. All right, so you get the idea. She's been a problem at this is a school. She shows up at the school. She's involved in an altercation. She carry, She brings a gun, which she pulls out. Okay? Now, we, we have all these people. I mean, I'm, I'm told that we've got a problem with guns. Absolutely. I'm told we've got a problem with people displaying and brandishing guns. And here you have a woman who brings a gun into a school. And then waves it around like this, apparently saying, blank this school, and she pulls a gun out of her purse. So she ends up getting convicted of possession of a firearm on grounds of a school, which is, by the way, a felony. Okay, imagine, you know, what what do you think should happen here? Now, I'm not arguing that you put her in prison for 10 years, but at the same time, you bring a gun onto school grounds and you start waving it around, threatening people. I think that's a big deal. Maybe I'm hopelessly old-fashioned, but I happen to think it is a big deal. She pleads guilty. They drop the misdemeanor, carrying a concealed weapon. And then 
on December 7th, she appears in Milwaukee County Circuit Court in front of Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Jack DeVia, who was appointed by Tony Evers in 2020 and who was reelected, I think, unopposed um, in 2021. So, again, think about what an appropriate sentence, you know, might be. And again, I'm not arguing 10 years in prison, but you'd think you'd think that there'd be some consequences. So here is the sentence. And if you are, again, watching us on the YouTube channel, here's I because because other places don't do this. I'm kind of curious as to what the disposition of this is. Um, she was sentenced as to count one, ordered 90, to serve 90 days in the Community Reintegration Center. That's what we call the House of Correction now, the Community Reintegration Center, because we don't want to stigmatize people who are sent there. I swear I cannot make this stuff up. Okay, and that is one of the things I know one of our textures is concerned that I'm not going to make it through the end of the week without my head exploding. Yes, the Community Reintegration Center. We can't call them jails anymore. Can't call it the House of Correction. It's the Community Reintegration Center. Anyhow, Judge DeVia sentences her to 90 days in the Community Reintegration Center. Now, maybe you are rolling your eyes thinking, 90 days, you bring a gun to a school, you create this kind of disruption. That could be crazy. But, but, no, 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 don't let that stop you. The court then stays the sentence which means we put it on hold and the defendant is placed on probation for 12 months with the following conditions. Don't go back to school. Um, You know, uh, no new law violations and uh, no controlled substances without a valid uh, prescription. So in, in essence, it is an ultimate slap on the wrist. It's not even the 90 days. It's go out in the community and hopefully don't go back to that school with another gun. 90 days. I think you can argue whether 90 days would have been appropriate or not, but she's not going to have to serve the 90 days. She is put on straight probation. She does get credit for 10 days that she served while before she was released on bail. But essentially, you can walk into a school with a gun. You can create a disruption. And what do you get in Milwaukee County? You get probation. When we come back, let's highlight let's highlight six of Wagner's favorite rules of life. It comes up right after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. The Department of Justice is open. I continue to be blown away by all the, just all the, the very kind um, and generous emails and texts that I've been getting about this. And a number of them, I'm, I'm, it's, it's helping me walk down memory lane. Good afternoon, Jeff. Many years ago, way back in 1998, I began working my first job as a bag boy at Sendex Market on Downer Avenue. A couple years later, I turned 16, I got my driver's license, and they let me make some of the Saturday deliveries to local restaurants and businesses. Sometime between blasting music over the less-than-audiophile quality speakers in the mid-'90s Ford E350, well beyond what any rational person should ever be subjecting their eardrums to and making my stops, I discovered your show. See, I started out doing six days a week. That's That was it. I used to do Monday through Friday, and then Saturdays start at 10 in the morning. I think it was 10. And we do, like, lifestyle shows, Money Talk, and Fox World Travel over the years and things like that. And then when there wasn't sports, and back then WTMJ carried the Wisconsin basketball games and football games, but when there wasn't sports 
and we'd, we'd have the, the brewers as well, I, I would do a Saturday show. And it was actually a great way to learn how to do this because there's a huge audience that, that listens on, on weekends, but it's a different audience than listens Monday through Friday. So I got a chance to experiment with stuff, stuff and, and take some chances on things and learn what worked and, and what didn't work. Um, anyhow, it was my first dive. This person continues. My first dive into talk radio. I'm proud to say I've been listening ever since. There was nothing as boring as a Saturday in the van when your show was superseded by a game. Well, that's nice of you to say. It was you that led me to other programs in WTMJ and eventually even other stations on occasion. The other hosts are truly great, but they're just not you. If those Saturdays dragged on without your voice on the air, I'm not sure what's in store for me. Many more working years without the Jeff Wagner show to distract me. And then goes on to talk about how um, we ended up you know, meeting in person once or twice. And so that's... Um, that's that's very, very kind of you. Best of luck in the new chapter of your life. And if you think you might have 25 more years of shows in you, I don't think anyone except perhaps your wife will complain. That's from Richard. And I, I appreciate that very much. Um, you know, a number of people have. OK, in, in just a couple minutes, we're going to we're going to recycle the, the top six Wagner rules of life. But I was thinking of something, you know, I and I, again, if you were listening to the start of the show, what we're going to do tomorrow is we're going to do. I was wondering, which is, it will be an open line. You can call in and you can ask, you know, whatever you want. I typically do not do that. I know some hosts do it regularly for a variety of reasons. I don't, but we're going to make an exception. We're going to do that on Tuesday. Thursday is going to be Evergreen Day, which is, I carry around all these different topics that I just, I haven't gotten to. I mean, they're good topics. It's just that they've gotten superseded or they've gotten replaced by more current events. Well, we're, I mean, there's no sense in keeping the continuing to carry around this file. So I'm going to be bringing out the file. We're doing Evergreen Day on Thursday, and Friday is they really do exist. I'll introduce you to some of the revolving cast of characters in my life who, who we've referred to from over over time. Somebody, I always talk about the, the, the gal that watches my dog. It's Sister Pat. And people, first of all, they say, do you have any sisters? No, I said, I've got a brother. But you call her sister. Is she a nun? No, she's not a nun. But I understand why you might think Sister Pat is either my sister or a nun. But no, she's neither one of those. But, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get her on people like that. So I, I, Wednesday is still kind of an open day. A number of people are texting in. Um, Jeff, um, we could also use a list of top sayings, like, you know, go with God. Be sure to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. This is a situation like Ginger and Mary Ann. Um, one of our texters said, I really liked your show, except once you called me a jack wagon. Where did that come from? You know, maybe, <clears throat> maybe you, we can do, um, maybe we can do some things like that as well. So we'll, maybe, maybe that's Wednesday. Maybe it'll be some of the Wagner isms, not rules of life. But right now, number of people asked, I, I want to, I want to highlight six rules of life that we have come up with over the years and the history of them. We'll do that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. I really probably should have listened to this before reposting it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner Radio. The, um, I, I, <laughs> on, on the morning news today, Eric Bilstadt did a feature on, on, on me. And it, I, a couple of friends of mine called and told me about it. I, I have not had an opportunity to listen to it, but I have, I have blindly reposted it, and it's, it's kind of going viral. So I, I'm, I'm assuming it's nice stuff that, that's out there. It's got, I know it's got some Jimmy Buffett music behind it and stuff, but I, I, just, I just assumed that this wouldn't be Bill Stats screwing with me, you know, during the last week. So it, it, it is out there. You can have a chance to listen to it before um, 
<laughs> before I do. So that's it. All right. Over the years, we have developed a series of what I call Wagner's Rules of Life. And there have been a, a number of them, a lot of which are a lot of which are situational to explain stuff that, that ends up, you know, going on. And and I I admit that some of them all fit into that that category that like the comedians describe as you can't fix stupid. I mean I, I understand that, but that that's not original. It's kinda like why did you think that that was going to be a, a good idea? There's a story in the local newspaper about a Milwaukee County supervisor who's um, running for a seat on the Milwaukee County. Peter uh, Bergelis, I think is how you pronounce your name. Apparently he participates in one, he participates in one of these like Zoom meetings and uh, he's not even he's not even a member of this committee, but he's you know he's he's participating in this and apparently. Apparently he's he's washing clothes. This is his story. He's washing clothes when he's doing this, and he, he's standing there. He's got his shirt off. So like you're on the Zoom call, and he's standing there, you know, with his shirt off. Now his story is I'm in my laundry room, and I didn't I didn't realize that the camera was on. Okay, well, you know, it's I, I don't I don't know that it's the biggest story one way or the other, other than you just can't fix stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, that's. That's one of these things. Here, I'm going to participate in the Zoom call, and one of the questions they ask is, were you wearing pants? And he said, yeah, I was wearing pants. Of course, we'll never know. He wasn't wearing a shirt until somebody says, uh, do you realize you don't have a shirt on? It's just, okay, that, that's just, it's a sort of dumb thing to do. And a, a lot of times when you have the, the criminal stories, people are committing crimes. It, they come into the category of you can't fix stupid because you sit there and think, why did you think that that was going to be a good idea? What exactly did you think w- was going to happen? But so that's that's an overriding theory. But here are here are six. Number six, elections matter. You get what you vote for. I hear all the time when I talk about issues related to crime and I talk about stupid bail decisions and repeat criminals who are out on stupid bail or they're out on stupid sentences, they're out after having their wrists slapped, they go back, they commit another crime, and then, you know, they go back into the system. And and, and I'm asked, well, how can this happen? What can we do? Well, okay, Wagner's Rule of Life number six, elections matter. You get what you vote for. Okay, the district attorney of Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, who's been elected and reelected and reelected, he makes no bones about it. He doesn't like putting people in jail or in prison. They go out of their way to try to not do that. That's the policy they have. And so you keep electing or reelecting Chisholm or people like Chisholm, you're going to get those results. The Milwaukee County Circuit Court, you look at these judges and you look where they are coming from. Okay, Scott Walker appoints a bunch of what I would describe as experienced lawyers who are tough on crime. All right, but because it's Scott Walker, all right, when these Walker appointees come up for election, we're going to vote against these Republican appointees and we're going to replace them with people from the public defender's office or people with no criminal law experience or people who are really into this alternative justice thing. And they routinely slap people's hands, slap people's wrists. Okay, if these are the people that you elect to these judges, why can we be surprised? Why should we be surprised at this? You know, you elect members of the Common Council, you elect members of the county board, you elect politicians who 
when they run for office, say, okay, you know, people should be held accountable. But then when they get in office, they're not willing to take the steps to hold people accountable. They're not willing to call out the DAs. They're not willing to call out the judges. They're not willing to put pressure on Madison to pass laws like mandatory minimum sentencing and things like that. So, I mean, it's this this giant game that we end up playing. And then people text me or they email me and they say, well, what can we do? Well, the answer is you, you, you can vote these people out. But there's no no movement to do that. And until you change the people that are making these decisions, you're, you're not going to have any difference. So it's kind of like, okay, don't complain. Yeah, we're sick of cars being stolen. I agree. I'm sick of cars being stolen as well. But, you know, we, we don't treat car theft seriously. We treat car theft like it's a game. You know, we don't treat reckless driving, people running through red lights seriously until you hit and kill somebody. But why is that? Wagner's rule of life number six, elections matter. You get what you vote for. Wagner's rule of life number five, four words, stay in your lane. And this is some of the most significant advice that I can give. If Stay in your lane. And by that, I mean, we all have opinions on stuff, but generally speaking, other people don't care about it. And it's just been, I learned early on that, for example, by staying in my lane, that meant that, okay, let's, let's take my experience at WTMJ here. I, you know, I have all sorts of opinions, and I have over the last 25 years, over, you know, what goes on on the station outside of noon to three. But my lane is noon to three. I stay in that lane. And if somebody wants to talk to me about stuff going on the, on my program, that's fine. But I don't have... Everybody always will say, well, what do you think about what they did on this show or that show or whatever? I'm like, I don't stop. It, I stay in my lane. I, I've got enough trouble worrying about what I have to do from noon until three. I stay in my lane. I tell that to so many friends who, you know, say, well, I've, I've got this opinion or that opinion, or I want to tell the kids or I want to tell the grandkids, I want to do this. What do you think? And I said, well, did they ask? No. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Focus on the stuff that you can control. Uh, because oftentimes when you get out of your lane, all you do is you're not going to accomplish anything. You just frustrate yourself. Wagner's rule of life, number five, on so many different things, stay in your lane. Wagner's rule of life, number four. And and this is, it's meant to be amusing, but there is a larger point to this. I borrowed this one. Actually, I stole it from my friend Patty Karish. Wagner's rule of life, number four. Just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should buy it. And and I apply that. It's the, the sub thing about that is, is, guys, you know, just because they make muscle shirts, you know, you really need muscles to, to wear them. And I, I've always taken that to, to heart. Just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should buy it. But, but here's the, the larger point of this. Appearances do matter. The way you present yourself to the world does matter. That's how you are judged. It might be unfair, but it's the, the reality. If you show up <clears throat> for a job dressed like a hobo, all right, and somebody else, you know, shows that, you know, at least shows up for the job. And, and again, you, you want to dress for what the appropriate job is and you want to be job appropriate. If you're applying to be like a roofer or something, I'm not saying you wear a thousand dollar suit, but, but the point is, you want to dress appropriately for where you're going and, and what you're doing. It's one thing if you're going out to State Fair on a Saturday afternoon. Like I say, it's another thing if you're going for a job interview. You want to dress appropriately because fair or unfair, 
That's how people judge you. And you could be the smartest guy or gal. You could be the the brightest guy or gal. You could be the best qualified. But if you show up looking like a bum, well, okay, the the person who's making those hiring decisions is going to have a tough time, fair or unfair, getting past that. So appearances do matter. The way you present yourself to the outside world does, in fact, matter. And I guess the advice is you, you've got to dress for success until you become a success, and then you can dress any way you choose. All right, when we come back, the top three Wagner's rules of life. Don't go anywhere. over the weekend that Ryan O'Neill passed away at the age of 82. Um, Ryan O'Neill first came to fame back in the 60s. Uh, before there were TV soap operas like Dallas in, in the evening and stuff, there was Peyton Place. And even though I was never a fan of that, I remember in the 60s, Peyton Place was this, I mean, it was based on the book Peyton Place or the books in that series. And it was it was like a, a nighttime soap opera. And Ryan O'Neill, Mia Farrow was on it, came to, came to fame with, with that, but he was always viewed as kind of this good-looking TV actor, and he was trying to break into movies. And his, his big, the big movie was Love Story. Aaron, have you ever seen the movie Love Story? Have you ever even heard of Love Story? No. Okay. I, all right, I'm feeling okay. Well, Love Story came out in 1970. Love Story, based on this book by Eric Siegel. Um, Love Story was an incredible hit. It, it's it. It starred Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. Ali McGraw at the time was married to Bob Evans, who ran Paramount. And she she was going to star in this. And, and the ultimate, the plot of Love Story is it's set in, it's set like in Boston, I think is where it is. And, and she's like a waitress or something like that. And he's a hockey player for one of the college hockey teams. And they fall in love. And she ends up... I'm, Okay, the movie's 50-some years old, so I'm not giving away anything. She dies in the end. It's, it's one of the, it's a melodramatic thing, and it, you get the line, you know, hey, you know, love, love is never having to say you're sorry. So, but it was, it was an enormous success, and it, it made Ryan O'Neill this huge star. Um, and, and the thing is, it, it actually kind of saved the studio because this was at a time where these Hollywood studios were struggling and things. Love Story, which came out in 1970, made a whole bunch of money. And, and here's the interesting thing. If it wasn't for Love Story, I'm not sure you have The Godfather. I'm not sure you have Chinatown. I'm not sure you have these other movies because these studios were on the verge of going under. And Love Story was this enormous success that allowed allowed them to bankroll some of these other movies that, you know, people remember past Love Story. But it was just this huge thing, and Ryan O'Neill starred in that. He went on to do a, a number of other movies. Um, uh, Paper Moon w- was one where he starred with his his daughter, Tatum O'Neill, who was like 9 or 10 at the time. She remains the, the youngest person to ever win an Oscar, and it was set in the Depression era, and they were like uh, con men who were traveling around. Um, she went on. Her claim to fame was probably the Bad News Bears, that thing. But Ryan O'Neill was a huge star in the, the 19... 70s and then i mean he he did work moving on but i mean that that was kind of his heyday but he passed away at the age of 82 but um it, it, like i say his claim to fame and with the movie love story because if there's not love story a, a lot of the big movies that paramount made in the 70s um just do not exist wagner's rule of life 
Number three, take this to the bank. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. There is no question at all that you have people who do not believe that there are consequences for bad actions. So, okay, I'm going to steal a car. I'm not going to be held responsible. And, and by the way, there, there's good evidence for that because what's the, what's the clearance rate in Milwaukee for car theft, like 4%? Meaning, and that's just, that's just cases the cops solve. That, that's not people who actually get prosecuted. That's just, hey, we've identified the person that stole that car. Then it goes to the DA's office. Then it goes to the court system. So, I mean, actually, as far as accountability, it's probably a lot less than 4%, but 4 or 5%, whatever the most current number might be. But you have these situations where people feel that they can, they can steal cars, for example. Then everybody runs from the police nowadays. Why do they do it? Because they, they, they're not afraid of, of there being consequences. Because if they're caught, they count on that they're going, they count on not being prosecuted or getting slapped on the wrist or, or whatever. So they, they run. And then a lot of times what happens is when they run, they end up doing more damage they'll hit somebody a lot of times you know you have a, an innocent person who's driving and just happens to be in the intersection at the time somebody's driving 90 miles an hour in the stolen car that blows through it slams into him and kills the person and then then finally the system gets involved and the system says okay we're going to charge people with stuff well okay my message to the bad guys is play and then then inevitably you know you have people that come forward and say well i just i can't i can't believe that they're holding such and such accountable and this is my kid and he's a wonderful kid and stuff play stupid games win stupid prizes and sometimes what happens is when for example you're fleeing the police instead of hitting and killing the innocent person you lose control of the car it goes airborne you smash into the tree and you end up dead Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So maybe, just maybe, if we got back to where it was, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where everybody didn't run from the cops and everybody was willing to stop and say, okay, I'm, I'm see, here's the, the silliness about this around here. You're not going to, so you get caught in a stolen car, nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing is going to happen to you as a practical matter. So why, why make it worse by running? You can stand, hey, officer, I stole this car, and I probably stole, you know, I'm going to get turned loose, and I'm going to steal three more. Nothing's going to happen to you. The DA's office probably isn't going to charge you. The court system certainly isn't going to hold you accountable. But when you make that decision to run, you make it worse. You make it worse for yourself. You make it worse for the police. You make it worse for innocent people. And sometimes, you know, that worse means you've done something that's so bad that you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life, or you're going to end up killing yourself. All right, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Wagner's rule of life number three. Number two, mark this down. Now, Wagner's rule of life number two, nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 a.m. Okay, I stand by this. This is one of the first ones that we came up with. Think about, I think what where the impetus of this was a number of years ago, there were some professional base, football, basketball players, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. They're outside of a strip club. You know, they get in a fight with somebody else, and then everybody gets arrested, and then, you know, you have all – it just it just kind of spirals from there. But think about this. What good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning? 
Now there, and my producer Aaron is shaking his head. There's, there's nothing, nothing good. Go home, people. I mean, seriously, there's all sorts of variations of this theory. It's like, okay, if you're a 16 year old in this around here, nothing good happens if you're out on the street at three o'clock in the morning. There's nothing good. Nothing is good that's going to happen. You should be at home. You know, when you're out on the street in the middle of the night, now, granted, you can get in trouble at any time of the day or night around here now, but, you know, out on the street late at night, parents, you know, tell your kids, nothing good happens on the mean streets of Milwaukee or, I mean, on the mean streets of Waukesha or whatever at 3 in the morning. Kids should not be out there. When you're in these situations, how many cases do we have that, oh, it's bar time, bars closed at 2 in the morning, there's a shooting outside in the parking lot. Nothing good happens outside a strip club. Nothing good happens outside a bar. Nothing good happens, you know, on a basketball court, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Go home, people. That's what they're there for. Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 in the morning. And Wagner's rule of life, number one, we have T-shirts. Matter of fact, we used to give out T-shirts like that. Some of you perhaps have them. Wagner's rule of life, number one. And this this came from when I first started doing talk radio because people would reach out to me and tell me that they were offended by this or that. I can't believe you said this. I am offended. I can't believe you took this position. I am offended. I, you know, and, and, and people were getting offended all the time. And I guess my attitude was, well, Okay, you, you've got a couple choices. Radios, for example, have, have especially in the old days, they have these, these magical things. They have a button that turns them on and off, and they have a dial that you can switch. So if if you are offended by what you're hearing from the guy in 620, that, that's okay. There's all sorts of different choices you have. And so th- that was kind of the, the attitude. It was like, well, if you, if you don't like this, th- that's fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're bothered. I'm sorry you're offended. But it's really... It's kind of not my problem, which is what led to the genesis of Wagner's rule of life. Number one, life is tough. Get a helmet. (laughs) It's just the reality of what's going on here. You know, we're life is hard from time to time. And there's going to be stuff that you don't like. There's going to be stuff that you don't agree with. There's going to be stuff that you're unhappy with. But, you know, in general, you can walk around and you can go, oh, woe is me. You know, this is just so terrible. Or you can recognize that life is tough. Get a helmet. That saying offended people. I would get, oh, I can't believe that you would you would we would say that. And it's just like, well, obviously you are missing the point. So that's my top six Wagner's rules of life. I'll review them once more. Elections matter. You get what you vote for. Stay in your lane. Just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should buy it. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 a.m. And Wagner's rule of life, number one, life is tough, get a helmet. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, when I was teaching, I frequently told students rule number one, which is life is tough, get a helmet. I'm sorry, Cupcake, if you're offended by this particular thing, but get over it. Um, Jeff, your rules of life are seriously both simple and extremely wise. You speak truth to what many are missing our society, which is common sense. For those of us in com- the Common Sense Club, we say a loud amen to each of your rules. Yeah, I think there's, there is an element of that. Jeff, I have a friend who's an ER doc. As he always, he always asks people what brought them in, and inevitably the first line is, I was minding my own business. 
And his first rule of life is don't mind your own business. Maybe stay out of that. Um, Okay. One of our, okay. Our regular, one of our regular listeners, Ken from Heartland says there's a rule you missed. No, it's not a rule. It's a Wagnerism. And we're going to share that. We're going to roll out Wagnerisms on Wednesday. Okay. These, there's a difference. There's the rules of life and then there's the Wagnerism. So that's going to come out. We got to stretch this stuff out. I've got enough four and a half more shows to do. All right. I don't know if you saw what happened, but. How can I describe this? All hell is breaking loose at the West Bend schools. Now, of course, part of the thing is, the difference is, this is West Bend, which is Washington County, where people who misbehave in the school find a different environment than the, like, MPS, where, okay, we'll talk a good game, but it it is, of course, MPS. Um, Here's the way this is being reported on Wisconsin Right Now, which is one of the websites that I I encourage people to check out. Uh, This happened Friday. Um, a terrifying brawl broke out at West Bend High School, resulting in five arrested and four students hospitalized. According to West Bend police, on Friday, December 8th at 2.30, this is last Friday, police received a report of a fight in progress in the parking lot of the West Bend High Schools. And for those of you who don't know, West Bend East and West Bend West are attached. I mean, it's they're, they're two separate schools, but they're one building. A 14-year-old female student, two 15-year-old male students, and a a 16-year-old female student and two 16-year-old male students were involved in a physical fight near the bus pickup area during dismissal. So you're you're talking about 14, 15, and 16-year-olds. There is a video of this, and it's, I mean, it's it's a beatdown. The heist, okay, um, what they say is, uh, the fight was broken up by school staff, school police officers, and other responding area law enforcement officers. Five subjects were immediately taken into custody on scene. A sixth subject was located shortly after the incidents at his residence and taken into custody. One of the 16-year-old males sustained facial and head injuries and was taken to a local hospital for treatment via ambulance. The 14-year-old female, one of the 15-year-old males, and the 16-year-old female complained of minor injuries and were also taken to a local hospital for treatment via ambulance. All suspects remained subjects remained in police custody while receiving medical treatment. According to police, Five subjects remained in custody until processed through the criminal juvenile intake system. Three of the five subjects were placed into secure detention on felony charges of physical abuse of a child. Two other subjects were processed and released to their parents. They will be facing a felony charge of physical abuse of of a child. Um, and then the the superintendent has issued a statement because earlier in the week there was a, a fight at Badger Middle School. Three female students participated in a verbal altercation. Male student entered the area, tried to direct one of the female students to move away from the altercation. Male student responded to continued verbal alteration by striking one of the female students. And this is a middle school. It goes on, so there's a fight there. But this this has really escalated and blown up to the point that you have this, this major beatdown that's being engaged in on on school grounds, but after school, and now you have uh, authorities that are saying, "Hey, you know, we want the DA's office to issue charges. We want felony, we want felony charges brought against the fourteen, the fifteen-year-olds, and the sixteen-year-olds." 
Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I guess there's two ways that you can look at this. You know, one is, oh, these are just kids, and kids always get into fights. The other way to look at it is if you, as an adult, you know, were out in the, okay, you, you go out in the parking lot where you work, and you and four of your coworkers end up in a knockdown, drag out, pier six brawl that ends up with three or four people going to the hospital. I guarantee you that you're going to be charged with various crimes. So, again, this isn't Milwaukee. So we're, we're talking about like the, the real world there. This is Washington County. The school officials want felony charges brought against the 14 and 15 and 16 year olds. 855-616-1620. Is something like that appropriate for one of these major fights? And that's what this was. This was just this brawl. If you look at the video, there's a kid that's on the ground and there's another kid that's stomping on their face and things like that. I mean, this isn't just, hey, two kids were yelling at each other. This is five kids involved in a major brawl. And now, I mean, the authorities are talking about the cops are saying, hey, we want felony charges brought against these kids. If you were grown-ups, that's what would happen. Should you apply the same standard to kids? 855-616-1620. My answer, you bet. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. One of our texters reminds me that yeah, West Bend, Badger Middle School, the same spot they had um, the, the, the first fight involving the, the younger kids, before you had the, the Pier 6 brawl on Friday, Badger Middle School was the same place we talked about last week where you had the, the, the basketball game with the 8th graders and the father came up and punched the coach in the face because he didn't think his kid was getting enough playing time. I mean, that, so I don't know what's going on out in West Bend. I love West Bend. West Bend, my, my wife lived in West Bend for a couple years and had an apartment, you know, a condo downtown that we ended up selling. I love West Bend. What is going on out there? 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. But you, you really have th- this brawl that breaks out 14, 15, and 16-year-olds in the playground Friday afternoon right after school has been dismissed. And if you watch the video of this, I mean, it, this isn't, again, this isn't pushing and shoving. This is kids on the ground and stomping on their faces and things like that. Now the authorities are recommending multiple felony charges against these punks who are involved in this. And some people are saying, well, it's a 14-year-old and it's a 15-year-old. How can you do this? How can you not do this? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Um, Jeff, these kids are not close to being adults, no felony charges, but obviously consequential consequential punishments. But, well, here's here's the problem. There's... There's really not much of an alternative. I mean, if you don't give them felony charges. Now, I'm not saying, again, that you put these these children, I'm not saying that you put them in prison for 10 years or things like that. But, but this type of antisocial behavior is known by everybody to be antisocial behavior. And if you just tolerate it, if you say, okay, well, we're going to tell them, you know, don't do this again. 
or what we're going to do is we're going to haul them into juvenile court and we're going to, you know, give them, we're going to declare them delinquent and give them a warning and then send them back to mom and dad. That's not sending any sort of message. It's not prosecuting the kids and it's not sending a message of deterrence to other kids. And obviously West Bend is not immune from the violence that is out there in all sorts of other schools. Let's review the bidding for a minute. Why, why do we punish people? Why, why do you have, and in theory, you know, why, why do we, we hold people accountable for stuff? Well, it's the whole idea of, of deterrence. First of all, it's specific deterrence. That's what they call it, right? If you catch somebody that's been involved in beating somebody else to a pulp, all right, you, you punish them because you want to stop them from being able to do it to someone else. Then you have the whole idea of general deterrence. You want to, quote, unquote, send a message to other people that, you know what, if you decide that you're going to get involved in in a brawl and you're going to stomp on somebody's face and you're going to send them to the hospital, well, there's don't do it because you're going to be held accountable. Um, Jeff, you got to charge them. The reason being is that either way, they are going to learn something. The choice is, do we want them to learn that when they engage in behavior that there are serious consequences, or do we want them to learn that they can behave however they want without consequences? Yeah, that that's ultimately what the choice comes down to. Jeff, I totally agree with you. Um, you have to set an example as well as otherwise, others as well, otherwise incidents will continue to happen. Uh, right, that's, that's the point. Now, I understand that, you know, you say, well, you're talking about 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds. Okay, I, I get that your, your brains aren't as developed, your, your judgment isn't as developed, maybe, as when you get older. But nevertheless, well, I'm sorry, when you're 14 or 15 or 16 years old, you know some basic concept of right from wrong, or hopefully you do, unless you're a complete and total sociopath, in which case you've got a whole different story there. But when you're engaged in a beatdown on the playground, what happens is you, you've got to be held accountable. Don't tell me that people involved in these fights don't know that what they're doing is wrong. Of course they know it's wrong, but they're doing it because they think they can. And apparently in West Bend, you have this ongoing problem now with violence in the schools. Maybe that's not fair, but if you just look at what's been going on, you know, in the last two weeks, you see one situation after another after another, and you have to, you know, deal with this. Jeff, myself and three friends were jumped in Oak Creek by 10 to 15 people, numerous witnesses. The DA in Milwaukee only made them pay $33 in restitution and pressed no charges. I hope West Bend goes ahead and charges the kid. Um, yeah, that's, and again, that's that's Milwaukee. And, and this is, it goes back to what we were talking about, Wagner's Rule of Life number six, that um, elections matter and, and you get what you vote for. You, This is the philosophy, at least down here in Milwaukee County, we're going to bend over backwards to not hold people accountable. And that, that's that's just the way it is. That doesn't mean it's right. And actually, I mean, one of the arguments you can make in Milwaukee County is, well, we're overwhelmed. Crime is so out of control that we have to pick and choose and we have to be more selective. Maybe in Washington County, hopefully you won't get to that point. And hopefully in Washington County, you can send a message and punish bad behavior. We'll see. When we come back, 
Okay, I want to talk about this DEI deal that fell apart over the weekend and an interesting story about Disney World. Yep, all that and a lot more coming up. Don't go anywhere. We pick up the program right after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I, you know, it's one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and it's not a Wagner's rule of life, but it's so many people operate under this assumption that when you're wrong, be strong. And and the the idea, and I I see it a lot in politics, you you can do stupid stuff, you can do clearly wrong stuff, but instead of just saying, and I see this from both parties, instead of just saying, saying, I was wrong, I made a mistake. You have people that just kind of double and triple down. It's the whole idea of, you know, sometimes, and this will be one of the Wagnerisms that we'll go into on Wednesday's program, you know, when when you dig yourself a hole, sometimes it's best to climb out of the hole, declare victory, and just just move on. But people are are, are just incapable of, of doing that. Oh, we made a mistake. Okay. Well, there was a story about this from the world of football last night. Don't know how many of you were watching Sunday Night Football, but it's a big game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. And it's so interesting to me because the world of sports a lot of times gives us, I don't know, these sort of larger social issues. So what happens is Kansas City is trailing Buffalo by 20. The score is 20 to 17, which is the what the score turns out to be the, the final score. Kansas City is driving. They need the final touchdown. So what they do, this is a little bit more than a minute left, they come up with this brilliant, this brilliant trick play. And what happens is that the quarterback, Mahomes, passes the ball to um, Travis Kelsey, the, the guy who's dating Taylor Swift, you know, and he catches it. He's, he's like downfield. He catches the ball, but, you know, he's not going to be able to score. Meanwhile, there's another receiver that's running down the sidelines and what happens is that kelsey takes the ball and throws a pass halfway across the field Uh, uh, so it's a second pass but it's it's behind him so it's you can do that throws it to the second receiver Kadarius tony who catches the ball and then runs into the end zone and the fans are going nuts it is an incredible play now as i'm watching this you know, all during the play, they've got on TV, they've got a thing saying that there's a flag down. So there's a penalty flag, which has been thrown right, right away. So the question is, you know, who is the penalty on? Well, it turns out it's a penalty on the Kansas City Chiefs because the guy who caught the pass, he's lined up off sides. And, and this, if you go back and you look at the replays, it's not even close. You know, in, in football, the defense isn't allowed to you know, be past the ball. And, you know, the receivers, the, the linemen, they have they can't be in, in front of the ball. Well, if you look at the replay, this receiver, it's not even close. I mean, this isn't some sort of technical thing. You know, he's clearly lined up off sides. It's not even close to this. So they, they throw a penalty. Well, after that, so the result is the play gets called back. 
well, the Kansas City quarterback's going nuts. The Kansas City coach is going nuts. Everybody's all upset with this. And and they're saying, oh, this is just terrible. I'm looking at some of the comments. You know, another game, the quarterback uh, Mahomes says, another game we're talking about the, the refs. It's not what we want for the NFL. It's not what we want for football. Let us play the game. Then whatever <clears throat> happens, happens. Well, okay, so he's mad at the refs. The coach is mad at the refs. Why aren't you mad at the player who lined up offsides? I mean, again, this isn't one of these kind of discretionary calls. The guy was clearly offsides, and it wasn't close. And I'm just I'm watching this, thinking, oh, okay. If you want to be mad at someone, you know, be mad at your teammate who, despite the fact that you've probably been playing football since you were seven years old, you know, decides that he's going to line up, you know, a, a foot past where the ball is. And, you know, so then the complaint is, well, sometimes if you're getting a little bit close, the referees will give you a bit of a warning. Well, okay, but they're not under an obligation to do that. And this wasn't even anything that was was close. The guy was clearly off sides. And if you would have ignored this and they score the touchdown, you know, then Buffalo is going to be going, how could you ignore this obvious penalty? But it, it all comes back to this whole idea of when you're wrong, be strong. Because at first I saw the Kansas City quarterback like raging on the sidelines, and I thought, my gosh, is he upset with the player for lining up off sides and doing something so stupid? No, he's upset with the referee for calling what was an obvious penalty. My point is, don't get mad at the referees. I mean, get mad at your player for screwing up. But this is the category, and we see this so often in life, whether it's the game of football or whether it's politics or whether it's whatever. When you're wrong, be strong. I'm not going to acknowledge that we're the ones that ended up screwing up and causing this situation. Go figure. All right, when we come back, let's talk DEI. That is diversity, equality, inclusion, and what's going on in the UW system. Stick around. Some days I feel like my shadow's casting me. Some days the sun don't shine. Sometimes I wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring. When I think about my dirty life and times. One day I came to a That's Warren Zevon. That's one of our goodbye songs. That's from his um, final album warren zevon everybody knows warren zevon from uh werewolves of london you know that's of course his most famous song but he was really a gifted um a gifted singer songwriter who was also a mess you read a couple books about him and he, he just he battled sometimes successfully sometimes not all sorts of addictions and um but uh, gone way too soon but you know that's we've got a couple warren zevon tunes that are in our, our repertoire of goodbye songs all right let me kind of let me, let me give you a background on this topic so you understand how it works. The uh, Board of Regents right now, um, they're, they're appointed to multiple-year terms uh, by, by the governor. And what, what's happened is now that Evers has been in office for, you know, one-plus terms, I think all the Board of Regents appointees are, are, are his appointees. Now, a lot of them haven't been confirmed by the state Senate yet. That's a whole other story. But Evers controls <clears throat> the Board of Regents. The legislature controls the funding for the UW system. Uh, there, there's workarounds that Evers has for some things. But in general, you know, in order to get money for the UW system, it has to come through. It's got to come through the um, it got to come through the legislature. So here's here is the deal. 
the legislature, the Republicans in the legislature, have been unhappy for years with the what they would describe as kind of the, this out of control growth of the administration in the UW system, not the teachers, but the administration that, that's there. You know, um, faculty who people who don't don't teach, don't contribute in that sort of fashion, but are again part of the the infrastructure. They have also been upset with what I think would be fair to say is an emphasis, especially under Evers, with um, the, these DEI programs, diversity, equity, inclusion, programs which are designed to increase, uh, again, participation of underrepresented segments and also to, uh, again, bring I don't know what I think a lot of us would argue is kind of this like group think to, to campus. This idea that, okay, there's, there's a certain mindset. You have to be behind this DEI stuff or else, uh, again, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, whatever. And there, there's now pushback in the legislature by the people who uh, determine the funding. So here's the deal. The legislature, using the available tools that they have said, look, we it's time to de-emphasize this DEI stuff. It has gotten out of control. And what we want to do is we're, we're going to use the only power that's available to us, which is the allocation of resources. And so what the Republican and the legislature have done is they said, look, we're going to, we're going to hold back $800 million because we, we have the ability to do that. Now, this is money that would go to giving raises to professors and to faculty members, and it's money that uh, would be used for various, you know, infrastructure sort of improvements. Um, uh, an engineering building on the campus of UW-Madison, renovating academic buildings at UW-Whitewater. So it's a big chunk of money. And the Republicans of the legislature said, look, we, look, you can have this. But as part of this, we want to scale back the, these DEI programs. And then, of course, you've got a lot of the people in camp, oh, you can't scale back these DEI programs. So there was a deal struck between the UW chancellor, the president of the UW system, and the Republicans. And, and here's, here, is, here is the deal. Under, in order to get all this money, the Republicans are going to free up all this money, raises for faculty member, et cetera, et cetera, under the deal. From 2024 to 2026, the UW system would have maintained its total number of positions. So no cuts to the administrators, no cuts to the faculty, okay? Um, The UW system, they would have taken, right now, they have 130 DEI jobs. 130 people that are assigned to these DEI jobs. Under the deal, 43 of those people, a third would have been shifted in a restructuring to jobs that support the success of all students, not just people who come under the DEI thing. So no jobs would be lost. It would just be we're going to restructure this so a third of these people who do nothing but support the DEI initiative, now, heaven forbid, they're going to be, you know, involved in, you know, programs that are designed to support the success of all students that are there. And in addition, 
we would free up the money and, you know, people would get the raises, 4% raise in 2023, 2% raise in 2024 for most UW employees, and we're going to free up this building. So the, the deal to get all the money, to get raises and all this stuff, was that 43 jobs be shifted out of the exclusive DEI category and put into, hey, we're going to support all the students. That, that, that's, that's the deal. And it was brokered, like I say, by the people in the legislature and by, again, the, the head of the UW system, the president of the system, and the chancellor at UW. So it's got to go to Tony Evers' board of regents to be approved. On Saturday, the regents, by a 9-8 to eight vote, shoot this down. They say, nope, we're not going to reassign these 43 people who have been, uh, again, they've gotten their jobs as part of this DEI program. We're not going to reassign them to programs that will help benefit all students. they got to stay there, and we're not willing to do that. So as a result of that, okay, nobody gets raises. The money doesn't get freed up for the engineering buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Political correctness run amok. Now, here here is the deal. Again, this, regardless about how you feel about, you know, DEI, whether you think it's, again, political correctness run amok or whether you think it's a, a necessary program, they're not talking about disbanding the program. They're talking about shifting jobs to other programs that are going to help support the DEI kids and also help support all the students. And in return for that, nobody loses their jobs. In return for that, everybody gets raises. In return for that, money gets freed up and you get to have buildings. This is one where the UW system has decided not cutting back on DEI at all is worth depriving people of raises and depriving people of buildings. And I think that the thinking is, well, that the legislature is going to cave. I think they are badly, badly, badly misreading, number one, the mood of the state legislature, and also, number two, misreading, I, I think, the, the view of, of people in general. This isn't demolishing all the DEI, DEI programs. It's not doing away with all the DEI programs. It's just saying... We've probably gone a little too far right now, and we want to scale them back, and we want to be concerned with dealing with all the kids. 855-616-1620, your thoughts on this. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. See, again, I've always argued that politics is the art of the possible, and you have a number of Republican legislators who think that the the diversity you know, equity, inclusion programs, the DEI stuff has has gone overboard and that college campuses are sort of losing their, their way. You're starting to see this play out nationally with what's going on at Harvard and at Penn and at other schools where, you know, you have college professors who are saying, OK, well, it's OK to talk about genocide in, when it involves Jews. And we, we don't want to we don't want to instill that. So the Republicans in the legislature have been saying, look, this is the leverage they have. Because Tony Evers is the governor and he appoints the Board of Regents, the only leverage they have is their ability to control money. And that's, and, and that's the only power that they have. And they're saying, okay, look, we, we've got this money, it's in the budget, but we can control whether it comes out or not. And, and yes, 
We want you to dial back the DEI programs. We're not saying eliminate the DEI programs, but, you know, we, you know, you've got 130 positions. We want you to cut 40. Take those 40, 43 actually, take those. You can still have them in working in, in areas and in programs designed to, uh, I mean, contribute to the success not just of minority students, but to all students. Right, including minority students. So you're going to work for overall success. That's what we're asking for. And in return, you get everything. You know, you get all the money, you get the raises and that. And the Board of Regents, by a vote of nine to eight, said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. And I think the feeling is that the legislature is going to cave. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Mike on the Northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I think uh, Tony Evers is pushing this woke agenda to the extreme, and the money held back by him is just a disservice to everyone in the student population and to all the voters and regents and everyone else. Uh, I think that uh, he's totally uh, wrong on this. Robin Voss should get appraisal approval, mm-hmm. and that's my thoughts. And before, before you let me go, I want to say, Thank you for your service. I want to wish you all the best of luck and health and retirement. Mike, thank you so very much. I appreciate that. And I, uh, people in the military serve. I'm just a guy that, that did a radio show in this market for 25 years. That, that That's all. And it's been my pleasure every day. And now, look, in fairness, th- this isn't I, – I, well, this – Evers appoints the Board of Regents. And I, I think Evers is 110% behind – this particular decision. But again, I go back to the notion that politics is the art of the possible. And I've been highly critical of Republicans during the debacle that was going on in, in Washington. Remember where we had the, the budget and, and we, you know, we were looking, we were looking directly in a, in a, in a government shutdown and stuff like that because you had a handful of Republicans who refused to cooperate and all. And I'm the guy that's made the argument that, okay, given when you have, for example, divided government, what you have to do is you have to say, okay, what what can we get out of something? What What's important? And, and for people who just like draw a line in the sand and say, well, I, I want everything. I've always thought that that's crazy. Politics is the art of the possible. And if you can, I don't know, if you're, if you can get 70% of what you want, I mean, I think a lot of times that that's that's a good deal. You know, take it because, yeah, and then you come back and you figure out where to get the other 30 percent. In this case, the case of the UW system, you have the the UW system. They want the money to do all this building. They want the money for the raises. You have Republicans who would like to just get rid of the DEI programs. And you can argue, again, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. They want to get rid of the DEI programs, but they're not saying that. They're not saying, hey, look, in order to get all this money, you have to you have to fire all 130 DEI administrators, etc. They're just saying, we want you to scale it back. We want you to go from 130 to 77. And we, we don't even want to get rid of those other spots. We just want to reclassify them. Let's structure it so they can help everybody in, in their jobs. And you have the Board of Regents who decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give anything. We're going to stand up and, and we're, we're going to fight and we're going to rally the troops. Okay, that, that's all well and good, but you know, don't be surprised when the employees don't get their raises. Don't be surprised when the money's not freed up because this is the only leverage that the Republicans in the legislature have. And I guess the question becomes, you know, when you go to the general public, when you get outside the halls of academia, 
and you go to the general public and you say, okay, we're spending all this money on these DEI programs, and all we're saying is we want them dialed back a little bit. And in return for dialing back a little bit on these programs and developing programs that are going to work to support all the students, is it unreasonable? To, is that unreasonable in return for all, all this other stuff that's in the budget? I think, despite the fact that they're going to be fighting the media on this, I think more and more average voters are going to be on the side of the Republicans than on the side of the UW system. Time will tell. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. When I listen to Vince doing that advertisement, it it brings back one of our ongoing annual battles because for the last several years, I've done the commercials, but of course my last show is Friday, so this year we're, we're passing the baton. But I pronounce it pajama which always generates this huge, he's saying pajama. My argument is, okay, you don't say the Bahamas. You know, it's the Bahamas. It's not the Bahamas. So it's pajamas. But but other people say pajama. But whenever we do this, it's just, there, there's huge, don't you know, this is how you pronounce it, to which, you know, I kind of lump this into potato, patata, Nevada, Nevada, you know, all those type of things. But I will miss our daily interactions about, don't you know it's pajama or pajama or whatever. Um, let's see, just a couple texts on what we were just talking about. Jeff, I'm all for people being treated equally, but with all this DEI stuff, they're taking it past equality and looking for special treatment and entitlement. Um, Jeff, the UW regents have done a horrible disservice to all students by opposing this compromise. They've also revealed their own racism and assuming that students of color are in such dire straits that they need help and no white students do. Shame on them. Jeff, I am sorry, but the continued unwillingness of the UW system to bend or give any concessions deserves nothing less than no raises. Hopefully this will open the eyes of the staff to consider that the taxpayers have had enough. I, for one, do not feel like paying for DEI through my taxes. Well, and again, there, the, the, this deal wasn't abolish all DEI programs. It was, you know, you're still going to have, okay, 130 less 43, you know, wh- whatever that number would be, people devoted clearly towards towards again working on the DEI initiatives directly but you'd have the other 43 jobs that were interested in helping not only students of color but other students as well and the UW Board of Regents said no we're not going to do that um time will tell how all this ends up playing out all right on a lighter note sort of i'm curious how you feel about this now we've talked over the years about Walt Disney and i i, I know Disney World Disneyland and I know it is a vacation source for a lot of you. My brother used to have a timeshare there, and so we would go down there. Uh, my late wife and I, we'd go down when when our, my niece and nephew were, were little, and we'd go down there, and I swear, um, even back then, I didn't know how people afforded it because uh, a week on property at Disney cost me more than a week in Europe. <laughs> it was just it was just staggering how expensive it was. And this is this is kind of a number of years ago. And you know, we did it just because we wanted to be with the kids and we wanted to be with my brother. Um I I, I did not get the roller coaster gene in our family. So Disney World is kind of wasted on me. But I know that the, the costs have done nothing but go through the roof. And we've <clears throat> we've talked about this on, on the program you know, before a number of times when we've had that conversation, people have called up and said, no, we're we're just kind of priced out of, of all of this. So one of the things that's been going on in an effort to try to make Disney affordable and still get around is that there for years and years, there have been what they call third party tour guides that you could hire 
to go and take you through through Disney World or or Disneyland for that matter. Sort of like if if you go to Europe, you know there are there are tour guides that you can hire that will take you um, around. You're you're in Paris, you know, and, and you want to see Paris. You can hire their services. You hire these these private tour guides. They're not paid for by you know by the city of Paris. You hire these private tour guides, and they they take you around, and they take you to the museums, or they take you to the Eiffel Tower, or whatever. And they have these descriptions, and you pay them at Disney World and Disneyland. But let's talk about Disney World for a second. You know, they're right now. It's especially given the cost. It's very very difficult to navigate Disney World on your own. You know, you want to figure out, okay, how can I how can I beat the lines? You know, where do I want to go and where should I go to eat? Where do I want to go where um, I, I don't know I'm going to get the best value? How can I use my time? All those different things. So what what's happened is there, there's a lot of private tour guides, um, different different companies. For example, there's there's a company called Create a Dream, and if you're going to Disney World, you hire a tour guide through Create a Dream. And, I mean, I don't know how much you end up paying them, whatever it is for the day. And, you know, that person shows up, meets you outside the gate. You know, they get your tickets. They, you know, you decide what the day is going to be. And then they they take you around and they help you navigate, again, Disney World um, based on what you discuss it. Now, Disney has its own tour guides that will do this as well. But to get the service from the, the Disney tour guides, I want to make sure I, I have this right. But, you know, to hire somebody who's doing this from for Disney could cost you like up to a thousand bucks. And that, that's on top of of everything else. So you're talking about a, a whole bunch of of money. Um, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I stand corrected. Disney's private tour rates range between 450 to 900 dollars per hour I read that as during the day no it you they charge you let's say it's 600 bucks an hour you're there for you know eight hours this could cost you like upwards of five thousand dollars most tour services typically range between 150 and 300 dollars depending on the packages and the company so it's still kind of expensive but it's the difference between well at the high end, it's the difference between $2,400 and $6,300. All right, here's what's happened. Disney has essentially declared war on these private tour services. And Disney is starting to cancel the tour guide's access and threaten them with trespass and criminal charges if they come on to the property. So Disney is making this conscious effort to try to keep out all these different tour services because whether they admit it or not, the reality is they don't want the competition. They would rather force you, if you want a tour guide, to spend four hundred and fifty to nine hundred dollars versus a third of that by hiring the private service. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old national bank talk and text line. Okay, now again understand this as we frequently talk about on this show. I mean, it's Disney's property. So if you're saying, okay, yeah, it's Disney's property, they have a right to say no private tour guides on on, on the parks. Yet they have the right to do that. I concede that. But just because you have the right to do something, as I always say, doesn't mean it's the right 
thing to do. Is this a reasonable position or is it just another way to screw over the families that are coming to Disney? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Quick reminder, all sorts of specialty programming going on during the week. Tomorrow, during the 1 o'clock hour, anything you wanted to ask me, we'll have a segment. I was wondering, you can do that on uh, Wednesday's program. We'll do a segment on on Wagnerisms. A number of people are reminding me of some that I hadn't thought of. Thursday is Evergreen Day, which is uh, topics I've been carrying around for quite a while, which I think are interesting. I've just never gotten to. Well, there's no sense in holding them back, so we're going to go through Evergreen topics. And Friday is, of course, they really do exist. I'm going to be... Uh, going to be identifying some of the people that have been a big part of the show over the last 25 years. They are, in fact, real people, and we might even give you the opportunity to hear from, you know, some of those people and what it feels like to have been the subject of of, of shows on on this. Okay, so I'll give you a, a quick example of that. So we had, we had some friends of ours that were staying at our place in Florida over uh, last week for just, just a couple days, and I made just a passing reference to the fact that the day they were getting ready to leave, I think last Thursday, they were doing laundry and the washing machine started leaking. You know, it's just, and so and they, they called and we, we ultimately, we got it, we got it fixed. It was, it was good. I was glad they let me know. And it was just a minor problem with a, like a hose or something like that. But I got somebody in, got it fixed, which is good because I don't want the washing machine leaking when we get down there. But I told this story briefly. Actually, what my, my friend who was down there says, well, I heard from a couple people who knew I was down there and said, "Hey, did you break Jeff and Fran Wagner's washing machine?" So it's that's that's, and I didn't say that Beth broke the washing machine. I said she was doing the wash, and the thing came loose. I didn't blame her for this, but if you're one of my friends or people that hang out in my orbit, this is the kind of stuff that can happen, you know, because you know, lots and lots of people listen, and so no, she didn't break she didn't break the washing machine. I don't think, but bottom line is we ended up getting it fixed. But I will introduce you to some of those people who have been subjects of or involved in or uh, referred to on the program over the last 25 years. They really do exist. I'm talking about this Disney World story. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. I can't imagine going to Disney today. Went to Daytona and Disney on our honeymoon in the 1980s. Hard to imagine. Uh, it's become so difficult and some um, and so expensive. Jeff, Disney World is way out of a family vacation affordability. They're nuts and need to get a reality dollar amount. If they don't, the wonderful world of Disney is going to be just completely messed over. Jeff, 28 years ago, I took my family to Disney World. We had hailed a cab at our hotel, but we didn't know it wasn't a Disney preferred cab service. So we had to pay for parking to have the cab drop us off at Disney. I thought it was a ripoff. Um, you know, I mean, here here's the bottom line of this. One one of our texters is saying, "Hey, if you go to the if you go to the um, Japan airport, you can hire guard, you can hire guides to to get you around." Right? That's that's the whole point of this. I mean, it's not like Disney's not making a whole boatload of money, right? If you look at what it costs to get into the grounds, if you look at the daily passes, if you look at how much food costs, if you look at how much souvenirs cost, what you find is Disney is making money hand over fist. These these guides that they have are a way to help people navigate around this 
in a more family-friendly way. Now, one of our texters is saying, well, I, su- I support Disney. People should do their own research. Well, obviously, this is somebody who hasn't been to Disney anytime soon, if, uh, anytime recently. You know, if you're trying to maximize your time, Disney's gotten a lot more complicated. There's there's websites that are designed to get you know, getting people around Disney. Well, if if you don't want to spend all that time, but you still want your kids to have a, a good experience, what's the problem with being able to hire the private tour guide? I mean, this is, again, as somebody who's traveled, I don't know if I'd say extensively, but I've gone to Europe quite a bit. You know, you use these guides. They get you around. That's like saying, well, Jeff, you know, what you can do is you can get yourself the Michelin guidebook and you can kind of go around and you can see these things. Yeah, I can find them. But at the same time, if I've got... One, if I've got two days in Amsterdam and I want to see all the stuff that's there, why, why wouldn't you hire a local guide who can take you around and can find out what the stuff you really want? Oh, I want to go to the Van Gogh Museum and it can take you through there. Or better example, you're at the Van Gogh Museum. If you hire a guide who can take you around and can, has, knows the ways that you can get around and see stuff quicker and make your experience better, why wouldn't you do something like that? To me, this is just flat-out pure greed. And at some point in time, you know, you end up, I'm going to use the cliche, killing the goose that laid the golden egg. As Disney makes itself less and less fan-friendly and more and more expensive, what you find is, okay, that lots of people are just deciding we cannot afford this anymore. When we come back, John McCure is back from his week in New York. We'll find out what he and Greg Matzik have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Don't go anywhere.